want to preach a message today that's called Don't Squander Your Privileges. Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 3 if you have it there. And for anybody who's going to be watching this that's not been part of our series in Romans, I'm going to do just a pinch of review that hopefully will be helpful to you. And um, But I'd encourage you, you can get all the messages on our website, cbcl. Dot org, and you can go through and listen to uh, the messages from Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. I will give you a little bit of review uh, if you've not been familiar with that, and also because we've been taking a break for quite some time. But uh, hopefully this will be an encouragement to us as we get back into this wonderful, wonderful, uh, the Everest of Paul's writings, the book of Romans. As we get started, I think it's interesting to at what stands out from your childhood. It is probably likely that you have times in your mind when you can remember when uh, someone lost their temper. I know those stand out to me, even going back a long time. If someone who doesn't typically lose their temper loses it, well, that just uh, attaches itself in your mind. Wanted to go ahead and mention a quick story as we get started here of a memory of mine, of my, of my grandfather, uh, and when he lost his temper. Uh, Grandpa Ralph is what we call him. And it happened during the summer when I was 17 years old. And I was doing some work with my uh, grandpa that summer. And I can recall um, how I went through the horrible ordeal of losing my wallet which meant that I lost my driver's license. I had my social security card in there, so I lost my social security card. And those were the two uh, biggest things. As I tried on my own to go down and get a new driver's license and even get a new social security card, my experience, as far as I remember, was this. It was, well, no, I'm sorry, we can't give you a driver's license unless you can show us your social security card. And when I went down to get a social security card, it was similar. It was, sorry, can't give you a social security card unless you show us your driver's license. Anyway, that's what I told my grandpa. And so he said, okay, well, I'll go down with you next week and we'll fix that right up. Well, I had already been to the social security office and tried to get a new card. But he said, I'll take care of it. And I trusted him. He was old and wise and, and that was going to work for me, I thought. So we went down to the office there, and as we waited in line and got up to the front, we told him the whole situation. Well, I've lost my wallet, which had my driver's license and my social security card in it, so we need to get a new one. And they told me I was going to have to have some more identification at that point, which I did not have. Well, it was at that point that my grandpa Ralph was going to fix this situation for me. He said, oh, it's okay. I I'll vouch for him is what he said. And that was interesting. And many of you know where this conversation was going to go. Because he said, well, I've got my driver's license, and you can know who I am, and I'll, I'll vouch for him. He's my grandson, and um, that way we can get him all set up with a Social Security card. Well, they said no. And he did not like that. I, I can remember afterwards hearing him tell that story, how bothered he was. I believe that they used the expression, and he repeated it, they said they didn't even know me from Adam, is what they said. He was hot, and uh, he, he did not like the fact that they would not give me a new Social Security card if he was there vouching for me. You see, 
what had happened was, is he wasn't going to be able to provide what I needed to get that new card. He had good intentions. He was telling the truth. And yet it was not good enough. It was not sufficient. What we're going to see in God's word today is that you and I do not bring anything with us that adds to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our salvation. But the things that are part of our story, while they don't bring anything to the work of Christ on the cross, those things that are part of our story can serve as a tremendous blessing. Hopefully we'll see this come through in the text today. Now we're returning to our series in Romans. Let me give you just a quick breakdown. This will, this will go very fast of the book of Romans and how Paul has divided it up. Let me just uh, speak from my heart a little bit and say it is a challenge to be in small chunks of the Bible because you don't get to go through all of this in one sitting. I've encouraged our people to read through the entire book of Romans. That would be a good discipline for you to do. And you'll see these divisions come through. But if you think of it as a, a, a letter that you're reading or maybe a small booklet, it is not common that you only read just, you know, two paragraphs and then stop. If you do that, you're not going to get the big picture. You're not going to get the message of that. And so that puts us at a disadvantage. Let me go ahead and give you a little bit of an overview of the sections of the book of Romans. The sections are this, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, and going through chapter 3, verse, verse 30. That section is the wrath of God. This is all we have covered so far. And so I am, you, we're, we're, we're in chapter 3 now, so we're getting close to the end of the section on the wrath of God. And I am very glad to cover it, and I'm also very glad for us to move past it. The next section that we'll be looking at is the grace of God, and then following that, we'll talk about the plan of God, and then towards the end of the book of Romans, we're going to talk about the will of God. Now, we we cover every verse through the book, and I want to let you know right off the bat that the passage that we're covering today in Romans chapter 3, it is a difficult passage to go through. In fact, I, I can't tell you how many times I went over it and I was scratching my head. Um, I do think that the Bible is very relevant for our day today, and I, and I think we're going to see some very good applications that come from this. But I want to let you know that if you have a practice of writing in your Bible, you might take some notes and just put a note right in your Bible. Um, because there are some things that are helpful for us to understand when we look at this passage. The applications are going to be clear. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write those down. And I'm going to, instead of giving us a what can you do at the end of the message, I'm going to make the three main points, those takeaways. And so uh, I thought it was best before I read Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, I thought it was best, since it is a challenging passage, to give a little bit of explanation. Let me answer some questions. It's going to help you 
when we walk through these eight verses. But before I read them, I want to go ahead and answer some questions. First of all, who? So this is, of course, the Apostle Paul writing. And in these specific verses, he is writing to the Jews. There's a mix of Jews and Gentiles at the church at Rome. And right here, we know that he is, he is talking to the Jews. And that's going to be very, very clear when we talk about it. But remember that when we read these verses. Now, what is he talking about? Well, I just now mentioned we are still in this section talking about the wrath of God. And so here he is teaching about God's wrath on unrighteousness. He's trying to get everybody on an even playing field. The Jews were not better than the Gentiles. The Gentiles not better than the Jews. And um, when we opened our series in Romans, we talked about that being the main problem they were facing. So where is this? It's a divided church family in Rome. It may surprise you to hear that there was a local church that had problems. And I say that, of course, tongue-in-cheek, because every local church has problems. Capital E, every local church has their problems. Now, Lord willing, they're able to work through those in a God-honoring way. And that's a test. That's a test when those problems come up and how they do. Now, let me ask the question, why? Why this section here? Uh, Two groups in this church, and what it comes down to is they are judging each other. So you got two different groups. And they're judging each other, kind of thinking, well, we are more right than they are. So keep that in mind when we read this section. And then I'm going to ask the question, how? So what, what form is the Apostle Paul taking here as he um, approaches the, the Jews in just these eight verses? And what Paul does right here, remember this. He is using a Q&A time. Paul is going to ask questions, listen, ask questions from the Jewish mindset, and then he's going to answer those questions to make his point. So keep that in mind, because when we read some of these questions, it's going to be confusing. What is Paul trying to teach us, you might think? And yet when we see, when we understand that he's he's using a method, he's asking a question that he knows some of them might ask when he talks about this point. So he's asking a question, kind of a devil's advocate, if I can use that expression. He's asking a question, and then he's going to answer that question to make his point. And the point is, is when we interact or when we disagree with brothers and sisters, we need to keep in mind, this is going to come through in the applications, when you and I interact with brothers and sisters in the local church, we must keep in mind that I am not any better than they are, and vice versa. So oftentimes we walk through and lift ourselves up a little bit. I know I'm right. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm better than them in some ways. And we must keep in mind constantly when we live the gospel, that means we constantly live the fact of the depravity of man, that I was no more worthy of them to receive this gift of salvation. So taking us back to that idea that we are all equally guilty. All right, that is the foundation. Keep that in mind. You might make some notes in your Bible. And let me read verses 1 through 8 of Romans chapter 3. What Then what advantage has the Jew? Or what is the value of circumcision? 
much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be, may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our righteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie the truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. Now, we're not going to cover verse 9 today, but likely many of you have in the past memorized Romans 3, uh, 9 and 10. And when we see the fact that the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one, that is a summary of what we've just seen. But remember, Paul is asking and answering questions here, and he's doing it with the Jewish mindset. That is what's going on. Now, let me go ahead and suggest that the Apostle Paul, as he approaches this, he might have had a few different things in mind. It could be, and let me give a quiz for all of you out there. Go and answer out loud in the privacy of where you're listening. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul was a missionary and he would go in to start a church in a city? Do you remember where his custom was to always go first? Do you remember? It was to the synagogue, the local synagogue that was there. He would go to the Jews first and he would preach Christ to them. And it is very possible that his experience of going and doing that and interacting with Jews with the message of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, it's very possible that he would have gotten responses like these. And I'm going to give you a couple summaries of what that might have looked like. It also could be that the Apostle Paul, before he accepted Jesus Christ, before God knocked him off of that horse uh, on the road to Emmaus, we are wonderfully blessed to have a record of him before he was saved. And he stood there when Stephen gave his defense. And it could be that this is what Paul would have thought when he heard Stephen talking about that. And if you're familiar with the story of Stephen, the first martyr for, for the church, we know that the men there, even the best debaters, could not refute what Stephen was saying. So it could be that maybe those things are coming into his mind. Here is what he knows will be some objections from the Jewish people. He is going to know right away that some of them might be saying something like this. It sounds to me like you're denying the privileges that God gave to the Jews. Is that what you're saying, Paul? Because he's going to have a fight on his hands if he's saying that. Also, we find here in these first eight verses of Romans chapter 3, where they might say, you know what? It sounds to me from what you're saying, like God doesn't keep his promises. 
These are arguments that would come up. And let me go ahead and tell you Paul's approach to this. Paul does not say, this is important, Paul does not say that there is no advantage, nor that God doesn't keep his promises. But catch this. What Paul is saying is that if you have not taken these privileges by both hands, then those privileges or those advantages will actually rise to testify against you before God. There are advantages. There are privileges. But they're not enough. That is not going to cut it when it comes to when we're standing before God and He is judging us. Is our name written in his book? And all those other things, they might be advantages, they might be good things, they are things that maybe we should rejoice in, and we're going to look at that in a little bit. But when it comes down to it, if they did not take a hold of those privileges by both hands, those privileges would actually rise against them to testify before God. He's going to make the case that many people have turned the advantages into disadvantages. All right. If you're taking notes, uh, number one, and these are the takeaways too. So if you like to have a little, what can I do for the sermon? Write these down. Number one, don't squander the privilege of God's word. Do not squander the privilege that you and I have of God's word. You probably saw that there in the first two verses of Romans three, where it said the Jews, first of all, had the word of God entrusted to them, the oracles of God. So advantages that they have. Now, as we continue our study in the book of Romans, we're going to see some more advantages that they definitely had in Romans chapter 9. And if you want to jump ahead, you can look in Romans 9 and read them. They're listed there right toward the beginning of the chapter, but he describes this advantage as foremost. That they were entrusted with the oracles of God. Some versions, some versions say chiefly when it describes this. Mine says to begin with. Others might say, first of all, you've been entrusted with the oracles of God. And so for this audience, Paul wanted them to understand that the word of God was what gave the Jew an edge over all other people when it came to purpose in life, when it came to joy. And I want to go ahead and apply it for, our, for us today because the word of God is what will give you the edge over all other people when it comes to purpose in this life, when it comes to joy. A wonderful verse that helps us with this is familiar to us, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, that says, All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. The word of God gives you the edge to be complete in this world. And the argument is here. That I can be complete when I know and apply 
these words that were, Second Timothy says, breathed out by God. What does that mean? Breathed out by God. Were the writers simply uh, just basically robots, uh, just dictating what God told them to write down? That's not at all what we find. Instead, we know that the different Bible writers, they had their own style. So you name the writer of the book, and they had their own personality. They would have their own style. They would have their own unique experiences that would influence that writing. What we do see is that God moved them along as they wrote. We have the exact book that God wants us to have. Peter explains this a little, a little bit uh, in a more helpful way in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21, where the Bible says this, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God, listen, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Carried along. That phrase carried along is it's a sailing metaphor that is being used there. Speaking of a ship that is being carried along to its destination by the wind. Now you're familiar that in antiquity, sailing ships were very much at the mercy of the wind. And so this is what, how God describes how he gave us his word. The edge that you have in this world. The writers have their own styles. They have their own circumstances. But they, if I can use this expression, they raised their sails so that they ended up saying exactly what God wanted to express. We have the very word of God we have what he wants us to have. So number one, don't squander the privilege of God's word. It gives you a path to be complete. That's what he tells the Jews there in Rome. Number two, don't underestimate the privilege of Christian heritage. Don't underestimate the privilege of Christian heritage. Now, we don't find um, any of these verses that talk about that, but I think this is implied from this text. And I think that is Paul's heart. When he speaks to these Jews that are here, he wants them to understand that their heritage is, is a wonderful thing. It's a privilege that they have. The advantage of the Jew was great, but don't miss this. And this is the foundation of the book of Romans. Romans is about the gospel. And so Paul is going to tell them that the advantage of the Jew would not and could not impose salvation. The advantage of the Jew would not and could not impose salvation, their heritage, that they were circumcised, their family tree, none of that would get them salvation. But it did serve as a blessing to those who did not squander it. I mentioned that before. 
Some who squandered the idea that God gave them his very word that talked about the coming Messiah. That gave a way for people to have faith in their creator, God. And yet many Jews squandered that privilege and many Jews would not come to God for salvation and would squander all of those privileges. Let me give one example in the New Testament of this. The Apostle Paul writes to young Timothy, and when he talks to Timothy, he talks to him about an advantage that he has. Do you remember it? He talks to Timothy, and he wrote to him, and he said what a wonderful advantage he had by being raised by a Jewish woman, by being raised with the word of God in his home. What I'm trying to tell us here is not to underestimate the privilege of a Christian heritage. And here's the application for us. If you, this doesn't apply to everybody, but it applies to many. If you were raised in a Christian home, do you understand that you have incredible advantages? We are sharing a testimony time over WMPC uh, throughout the week, Monday through Friday at about 5.05 p.m. We're sharing somebody's testimony, and people have responded wonderfully by sharing their testimony so that we can share it over the radio. We're getting mixed, a, a mixed kind of testimonies. We have gotten some, even this past week. We read some testimonies that, of some people that heard the gospel since before they can remember it. They never remember a time in their life where they weren't hearing the gospel. There were some other testimonies of people who never really heard the gospel until older, an older point in their life. Maybe they didn't hear it growing up. Maybe they didn't hear it in the church that they attended. But my point is this. If your testimony is, I was raised in a Christian home, I was given a spiritual stability, and I never strayed away from that, I'm begging you, please don't think that you have a boring testimony. You see, if you were raised in a Christian home with a Christian heritage, then your story is one that is to be most celebrated. Because here's what your testimony is. Your testimony is the keeping power of God. And there are so many that talk about coming to God at an early age, and yet they had a season in their life where they walked away from that, where God wasn't important to them. And if you are one who hasn't had that season, you were raised following God, and you can never remember a time when you turned your back on Him, then you have one of the most beautiful testimonies, the testimony of the keeping power of God. And then really quick, for another application, just for the parents and for those who influence young people, do not quit. Do not stop. I know they will fight you kicking and screaming sometimes to go to uh, Sunday school or to go to the Bible club or even to go to church. Don't let it get you down. Don't give up. There is a wonderful reward, and we beautifully see that God blesses that wonderful heritage that is there. Last point, last point, we'll go uh, much more quickly. I want us all to allow 
where you came from, and in my notes, I've got that in quotes, allow, quote, where you came from, unquote, to stop you from passing judgment on others. You need to allow where you came from to always be in your mind. Part of the gospel is the forgiveness, is the new life, is heaven, but part of the gospel also is the depravity of man. Jesus Christ wants us to remember the bloody work on the cross, his stripes, and what he did for us. It reminds us of the sin that we brought to the cross and that was forgiven. And so as you move in your Christian life, I want to challenge you to allow where you came from to stop you in your tracks when you are tempted to pass judgment on others. Now, we find that in verses 3 through 8 of the text, and Paul's doing that Q and A. Don't forget that. But what Paul is doing is he is methodically working to remove anything from the gospel message that would add to Jesus' work on the cross. That's what he's doing here. He is going to say there is nothing of, of you Jews that you are bringing along. You have to come to Jesus in the same way as everybody else in your church that's different than you. And Paul, when he, I remember I said he's going to try to think of objections that Jews might have. Here we find that, he, I mean, he's, he's already talked about circumcision in chapter 2, and he, he, he cuts that down, no pun intended. He takes circumcision and says, you cannot uh, bring that with you to the cross. That's not going to get you in. And then he talks about their Jewish heritage. And it even goes, Paul even gives kind of a, it's, it's really a ridiculous argument here when you study it through. And some of you like to take these messages and dig in deeper. Um, here's what you're going to see. The, the, the point that he's making seems silly to some of us, but he knows that some people are going to go there in their minds, some of these Jews. And here's where they're going to go. It's the ridiculous argument that because of my sin, I make God look even better. And hopefully you're saying, well, that's, that's ridiculous. That's silly. There's a contrast in mind here. And some people will say, well, God is so good, and it's because of my sin that it makes him look so good. Look at the contrast. And the Jewish thoughts on verses 3 through 8, are basically, if this gospel message is, is true, that Paul's telling them, then God doesn't keep his promises. And also, God has forfeited his right to judge anyone. If God's not keeping his promises, he can't judge anyone. But this is not, of course, what Paul's message is. The message to the Jews is, God has not failed, but instead, you have squandered the privileges. All those privileges that you have were to lead you to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And if you have missed that, then you are squandering those privileges. And so here's the key question that I want to sink in as we close. What are you resting in? What is it? when you are walking in this world that you are resting in for joy and peace and purpose? 
And also, when you come to the end of your days and you stand before God, what will you be resting in? Is it the privileges? Christian home? Background? Your mind? Your abilities? Some of those things can be celebrated and are wonderful if they lead you to Jesus Christ. What are you resting in today? Is it your privileges or are you resting in Jesus Christ? We need to make sure that we have in our hearts the words from the old hymn, Nothing in my hand I bring, but what? Simply to thy cross I cling. And so what can you do? Do not squander the privilege of the Bible. Don't underestimate the, pri- the, the privilege of Christian heritage. And allow the where you came from part of your story to keep you from passing judgment on others. Because neither one of you is better than the other when you came to the cross. And just like brothers and sisters, when I needed a new social security card, the privilege of having someone there with me who had his own ID and who was willing to vouch for me, well, that simply would not do. That was, that was not enough. And in the same way, you, even if you have all the privilege in the world, like those Jews, if you have all the privilege in the world, you will not be granted salvation unless you humbly turn to God for forgiveness. The work of Jesus Christ on the cross was to pay for your sins and mine. And if we will humbly confess our sin, the Bible says he is faithful to forgive us and make us his children. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the wonderful blessing that it is to be your children. I would ask God that as Paul is working to explain the wrath of God and that everyone is equally guilty, I thank you that he was able to break through to get some of them from stop the the judgment that was taking place of others. And I think likely, Father, many of them were to would have read this letter to them and would have had a clear understanding of the gospel. We praise you for that. And it would be my prayer that if there's any that's hearing this message and they've not accepted Jesus Christ, just humbly came, set every privilege, everything aside, and yet came to the cross of Christ with nothing and said, I accept your free gift of salvation based on the work of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for making me your son or your daughter. God, we thank you that you save men and women in this way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to continue with worship. We're going to sing or ask you to sing about God's word with the song Ancient Words. Sing along if you know this one. <laughs> 